cash money records taking over for the 99 and the 2000. Girl, you work it with some bad game. Just that game, make it woo to spend his cash. His last year, girl, proud with your passion. They mad dead, you could ride in the jagged. With that dead, you could smoke a fire bag. Aggression, got money, I can flash it. And trash it, I'm a bitch, I'm a player. Hi, everyone, welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I am Kate Kennedy, owner founder of Be There in Five the Company, inventor of the Remind Doormat, such as turn off your curling iron and turn off your straightener, mm, part-time artist, mm, part-time stay-at-home mother to a sweet, sweet boy named Tugboat. I guess now I can officially call myself a podcaster. Sheesh, I'm like almost 40 episodes in and I, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. <laughs> and most importantly, I am the author of the current number one new release in its category on Amazon, the children's parody book Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, a nursery rhyme for the digital age, an internet fairy tale of fame, fortune, and followers. It's an, a children's parody book for adults that explores the hilarious world of social media behaviors and how an adult might explain to a child all of the good, bad, and cringy things we do online. It's told through nursery rhyme characters like Mary Had a Little Scam, Little Bo Peep's GoFundMe for her lost sheep. Mary Quite Contrary is a huge B-word and steals Bo Peep's sheep, takes it out to brunch, and they post a, you know, cheersing boomerang at a place called Turn Down for Brunch, because that's the type of writer I am. One that really doesn't look for universal appeal, but rather to make myself laugh through a series of puns guised as hashtags on these feeds in this book, and for those of you that have gotten it and you've reached out, reviewed, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I this 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 has been a bit of a process. Uh, I did not know it was going to be delayed three weeks when it people started getting them. I didn't even know that they were shipping out. I thought I had another week. So as one says, it's more building constellations instead of comets. While I would have liked a comet launch, it had to be a little bit more spread out over time and. If you got one and you like it, if like if you went to Amazon and left me five stars, you would change my life because I need to like work the algorithm since it looks like my book came out November 6th, but it didn't. It actually came out the 20th. So then I had no traffic of my first release weeks and it drives me crazy. But reviews really, really, really help. And to those of you that have left them, I cannot thank you enough. And you did such a good job of explaining it like objectively in a way that doesn't seem like I know you or I asked you to write a review. And for that, you are brilliant. Anyway, so um, I'm going to post the podcast about Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star when I finish it. <laughs> but today I wanted to do just a good old classic BTI5 pop culture ramble fest of an episode. What do you think? I um, So last night I went to the Psalm 3 premiere. And if you listen to my podcast, episode 19, Bold Yet Unassuming where I tell everybody like the best way to not be embarrassed when you order a bottle of wine or, you know, you're doing a taste test for your table or somebody asks you what you like in a wine or even to provide taste notes to sound sophisticated. All you do is you swirl your, gl- your glass on the table. Real wine people, <laughs> that, that's a term, real wine people <laughs> don't <laughs> swirl their glasses in the air. They, they only do that to look up at the color because the color indicates the age of the grapes and helps them discern the year. And you can also look at the legs that way, which looks at the viscosity, the alcohol content, etc. But if you spin it on the table, you take a sip, you close your eyes for a minute, swish it around in your mouth, and you say, hmm, bold, yet unassuming. All your friends are going to be like, damn, are you a sommelier? Like, watch out, Charles Shaw, here comes you. 
because what's be- what's awesome about it is if anybody really thinks about it, they're two opposing uh, ideals, bold and unassuming. <laughs> I think, but like to, they, for some reason, it just sounds like uh, something that someone should say who knows a thing or two about wine. But anyway, if you know me, you know I'm obsessed with wine. Uh, from the moment I discovered it when I was studying abroad and I was like, oh my God, why have I been drinking vodka sodas for years? Like all of my friends to like cut cows would just order like triple vodka sodas at Sharky's in Blacksburg. So, you know, I was on board too. And I was always like violently ill. And I was like, why am I so sick? And it's like, because you're, you're, you're filling your body with poison next to air bubbles of nothingness with like a splash of citrus juice. Like you need... You need substance. You don't need to get drunk. You need just enough pumping through your veins to have more heartfelt conversations, to engage people, to maybe sing a song or two, a Tuesday night karaoke. But I just like, I don't know. It's like if, for it takes you a minute to realize the objective of drinking. It's, it's, it's a social lubricant. It's not meant to like, it's just not fun to black out or go crazy. Like, I don't know. It's just never worth it for me. And I I even in my drunkest state am so connected to like my general like reserved and prudeness that like even when I'm blackout, I like will wake up and I'll have full word documents written of like um, ideas I have or notes to myself or like things I wanted to think like remember that I'm thinking about that I think are brilliant. And I'm like, I mean, most people know that they had a wild night if they're like still in their clothes or they wake up at somebody else's house or you know, there's uh, there's macaroni still in the pot on the stove. Like, there's a lot of uh, indicators that tell you, like, wow, last night was a good night. But for me, it was always, did I have a Word document night? And if I did, what a delight it was. Because it's almost like I was, I, I don't feel comfortable being in an altered state of mind. So at risk of not remembering what I was thinking or doing, I would write it down for myself. And that level of responsibility as like a wild, trying to be wild college student is something that, you know, I kind of respect about myself. Uh, at the time, I lamented my inability to like really have fun because I always just like felt so sad and bored when I would go out and like I, nobody would pay attention to me. And then, you know, there's also the element of like back when, back when, I mean, I was in college, like, you know, I graduated in 2009. And in high school and college, I mean, like, Think about how big of a part of your life grinding was. Like, what the hell was that? Do you guys still do that? I mean, when you go to weddings now, you like dance, right? You don't line back or bend over into somebody while ushers he has playing. No, you twirl, you, 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 you toe tap, you feet step, you maybe clap a little, you, you move your hip. But it's certainly not half as vulgar as the garbage we pulled off on the dance floor in my youth. And I truly am just disgusted thinking about it. It was really like you'd go to parties, pair up with people, and just gyrate. And it's really strange to think about now because it's just something I just would not do with my husband in public, much less a total stranger at a frat party that honestly, I just was like trying to get to talk to me because at the time my type was pays attention to me, which is so sad and a whole other issue. But I don't know. It's just funny to think of being in a world where like that was your objective for the night was to just kind of knock back as much alcohol as you could paired with the least calories possible in hopes of finding your nearest, you know, beer stained polo shirt wearing button slowly getting undone as the night progresses bean pole should they, you know, allow you so kindly to, to find every way possible to like semi grind with them in a way that's 
not raunchy, but still is attractive, but also in, at angles where you will never have to make eye contact because you don't know each other well enough to be grinding your parts against each other. Small tangent, and I'm sorry if I'm ruining this for anybody, but quick note on Chippy, the elf on the shelf. Uh, sorry if you have kids in the car and they're like, Chippy, where is he? <laughs> I've heard of those. That, I heard that thing is like a parent's nightmare uh, and it's very risky to start, but it does seem adorable to have your kids wake up and like look for the elf. I always lived for that stuff as a kid. Um, the Thanksgiving parade. <laughs> Chippy, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he normally looks like that, but like, so Chippy's in a sitting position because he's like sitting on, you know, your mantle, quite literally, your shelf, wherever. But like his Thanksgiving Day float, you know, I guess he's a little top heavy. So the float was carried with him like on all fours, but like his back is kind of planked so it's not all fours it's just like face down ass up i'll take you to the candy shop style and i was just like oh my god somebody needs to flip chippy this is nsfw this is so weird this is so messed up and i could i just couldn't believe nobody else was saying it maybe he looks like that every year but truly i i don't know i don't know it felt it felt wrong it felt weird it made me look at chippy totally differently and when they say like oh it's fun for the whole family because you can put him in surprising places i don't think that's what they had in mind but anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh, I went to the song premiere, and I was talking about drinking in college days. Um, a lot of people really liked Freak Leak last week. That made me laugh. Uh, I love it, too. And I feel like I'm kind of moving from songs that are in the 90s to, like, 2000s pregame power hour, like, you know, songs you get ready to, like, when you're barely drinking age, but you think you're, like, so experienced and worldly. Um and that's why I played, of course, Juveniles back that as up AZZ, one of my perennial favorites, but more on that later. Um, you know, I'm a little hungover, I think. I don't know. I can't tell. I woke up this morning and I was like, I do not feel great. And I was like, I didn't really drink that much last night. I was at like a wine premiere. And then, you know, when you like go through the process in your head, you're like, yeah, I barely drank. I just, I got ready with a glass of wine. And then at dinner, three of us split a bottle. So that's like a glass or two and a half, and a half, whatever. And uh, then at the premiere, I only had two glasses of wine. And then you're like, oh, wait, I had five drinks, five to seven drinks. And for some reason, because those were spread out over like a five hour period, I'll convince myself that I quote unquote barely drank last night. And to that, I say... Uh, they need to update and dare or whatever they use to teach kids about, you know, substance abuse and bad behavior. Well, first of all, when they say, like, if you have X number of drinks, you can't drive or whatever. And they always say things in number of drinks. But when they mean that, they, 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 they're they calculating it by like a Dixie cup you have in your bathroom to wash after teeth brushing size of alcohol. And I'm like, is that straight alcohol? Is that wine? Is that beer? They all have very different contents. And now I'm sure there's some formula for this. But like, it's it's confusing because like you could say I've only had two beers and but you is it a pint or is it like a tall boy or is it you know uh what's it called (laughs) the thing where people play edward 40 hands a 40 i mean i hope i honestly hope none of you are still drinking 40s there's there's better things to poison your body with at this point (laughs) um but same with wine it's like the glass size really varies. And and if you're, you know, if you're at a restaurant, it's one thing for a proper five ounce pour. But at home and at other informal functions where they're not really doing that, it's very hard to tell how much wine you're drinking. 
Because at a five ounce pour, I could knock back three or four glasses and be totally fine. But you know how like at weddings and stuff, especially at catered functions, where they just keep pouring when your glass isn't empty? And I'll get to a point where I'm like, I've either had two glasses or 15. And there's like nowhere in between. And I just have, I I'm, have I'm no idea. I'm not paying attention. This happened to me at my rehearsal dinner. I was having so much fun and everybody I loved was around me in another country. I was like living and I was the bride. So people were taking care of me and kept handing me glasses of wine. And I kind of just thought I was drinking out of the same glass and never really finishing. Like I truly had was not processing how much wine I was drinking. And uh, let's just say the next morning was not great. It was my like wedding day and I had to get myself ready and do my own hair and makeup. And it was this weird dichotomy of like, I'm not even mad. I had so much fun, but also like, People, why were you handing me so much wine? I'm the bride. I, I Most brides like tuck in at 10 p.m. I was just like trying to rage. And I just, I don't know. I'm just such an idiot. Like, I just, I don't get hung over very often. I don't drink hard liquor except for tequila, which is a great hard liquor if you're going to drink it. It's an upper. So I'm told. Who the hell knows? I just like it because I can have it with salt. Um, but... I just, I don't know. And like at the times I don't want to be, it is when like, I don't know, it hits me like a ton of bricks. So anyway, long story short, I don't feel great right now. And maybe I sound a little loopy. I just like, you know, sometimes your like mood is considerably sillier when you like feel bad. <laughs> I don't know why, um, but it's like four o'clock PM. It's not like I'm, you know, still have any bold yet unassuming cab pumping through my blood. But anyway, the, the, documentary was great i love that the first psalm just a quick recap it's the the first psalm documentary is about a group of people that are trying to get their master sommelier license or certification it's extremely elite from the court of master sommeliers only like 270 some people in the world for all time have ever gotten it you get this certification you become the uh, maitre d' or sommelier or whatever for like the biggest Michelin star restaurants in the world. Like you're set for life. You're the expert. And um, I got obsessed with the first one because I'm obsessed with the way they blind taste wine um, based on what their palate picks up as tasting notes. And uh, the first one was like hilarious because these guys are like so intense and competitive. And one of them was like a little bit weird and... The people that you thought were going to pass didn't. And the people you didn't think were going to pass did. And like you get so into it like a sport. And I'm obsessed with niche drama. And I just love worlds that nobody else knows about. But people that people are so enveloped and obsessive about. Um, I don't know. It just brings me great joy. I, I, I too hope to find a hobby like that. That is not Taylor Swift conspiracy theories. Which is mine. But I'd, like, I'd, I'd argue that if you uh, couldn't stand up in a room and give a 10 minute lecture on something in incredible detail that everyone else in the room knows nothing about then like what's the point of life is there anything better than a deep dive i think not but anyway so the and then the second one is about the, the first one's more about the guys in this blind taste test and it's like such a fun thing that for the rest of time you will do you will never drink a glass of wine again after seeing some and not make up your own hilarious tasting notes and not try to guess what it is because from tasting a wine, and I know I've said it before, but I'm so damn impressed, and I think it's so cool. They they can have a lineup of wines, and from tasting each of them, they will tell you the varietal, the grape, the region, old world, new world, the alcohol content, the year. I mean, the, these people 
can guess, like, this is a 1995 Claude Duval Pinot Noir, 13.5% alcohol content. I mean, like, just from, I mean, isn't that insane? Think about all the wines in the world. Think about all the producers in the world. It's just like, I don't know. It's so cool. And I, the, the concept of having that um, discerning of a palate is, is pretty wild to me. And then when they would taste them in the first one, they'd be like, mm, this wine is, this wine is uh, dark. This wine is young. This wine has notes of boysenberry. This wine has notes of fresh cut garden hose, uh, fresh open can of tennis balls, cat urine, uh, rocks, uh, a very, very mineral, lots of rocks, lots of rocks, streams, rocks, brooks. Uh, babbling brooks to be specific uh any real source of water snake river oregon trail uh, spoiled ox meat buffalo meat whatever the hell those things were that you killed dysentery typhoid fever diphtheria this road is impassable it is from oregon this wine is a willamette valley pinot noir 2002 and i'm like what like i don't know they just keep going and going and i i was just like obsessed with it and um so anyway as a super fan i of course when they when psalm 3 was coming out the first was about the people. The second was about what it takes to produce one bottle of wine. And the third is about the the people that kind of about both, like the people that really um, changed the game of, of wine for everybody, whether they brought certain grapes to the States, whether they um, in the U.S. kind of put fine wines on the maps by setting up certain wine lists at major restaurants and kind of changing the game for how Americans consumed wine. Um, there's even there's this woman that's like the number one wine critic of all time. And people really look to her for her opinion. And there's this one guy whose name is Fred Dame, who is like huge in the wine world. He's considered one of the three most influential people, according to this documentary. He was the first to pass all three exams of the Court of Master Sommeliers at once. He is very, very influential in the wine world and very intimidating. And he follows me on Instagram. <laughs> and I noticed this the other day and I was like, whoa, what? I, like, is he a big like Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson fan? Like maybe he loves the Taylor Swift conspiracy. Maybe he just like, you know, all of my really you know, important input about Trader Joe's wine or Aldi candles. I'm not sure. Like, there's a million reasons why why such a sophisticated person would follow me. But <laughs> okay, I I find that like like I I realized uh, I don't know a few months ago that Dorinda followed me, and I was like, huh? Like, I I have no idea. Um, but the thing is, I think some people just have Instagram accounts and don't really use them, and. Since I'm mostly on stories, they probably don't even notice them there because you only see the stories you check. And it's kind of hard to get, like, into new stories. So whenever I notice, like, somebody, like, kind of big follows me, I mean, I'm no less thrilled. But it also is kind of like, oh, God, they're definitely not engaged with my content. And I'm, I'm fearful that the second they see something about me rambling on or a left-aligned, white typeface, black background iPhone note of me deep into the night giving you my hopes, dreams, fears, and regrets about absolute nonsense, they're going to be, like, hard on follow. But, you know, that's just what we do with this day and age. This is this is the twinkle, twinkle social media star of it all. But anyway, the, the whole point of the documentary is that ultimately wine is extremely personal and it's extremely subjective. And I find this extremely frustrating because it, it, it seems contradictory to have such a high society and have masters of this art that you're essentially telling me is completely up to the palate of the test taste tester. Like wine is in the mouth of the beholder. But I guess that's what's so crazy about art in general is like how how the pricing of something that's so entirely subjective is so crazily influenced by people. And I don't trust people that I, I can't help but worry and wonder if certain 
producers or artists or whoever's in these subjective industries aren't creating things, uh, you know, because they're under the hand of somebody incredibly influential who's trying to inflate something artificially for their own personal gain. That is my fear. Robert Mondavi. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I'm sure he's nice, but don't go there if you're in Napa. It's too commercial. But anyway, Fred Dame, call me. I'm very interested in making a documentary. Uh, Three master wine tasters do a blind testing or like something across from like three basic bees like me. And we blind taste test or they pick a, a certain series of wines and we tell them what we do or don't like and why and explain how we buy and why labels are important and what we look for and how we order in a restaurant and how we feel when we're presented with a giant wine list and like I, I just want to see if people with complete novice palates are able to pick up on what masters can in some way, shape, or form, even if by, like, fluke or accident. And if the finest wines at the finest price points in the world are something we would ever even, like, enjoy or use. Because part of the big, like, a big message in the film was we need to encourage millennials and young people that wine gets better with age and to start keeping cellars. So these great wines that like, can be, you know, digested much later when they're in their prime. And I'm like, no, we are we are immediate satisfaction society. Like we are we are not a seller of people. So let's figure out something else we can be doing. I can tell you for certain that I, I, I spend my days responding to scathing messages about postal issues that I have no control over because people want their package within one or two days like Amazon. And granted, I've lived in the same zip code in five different places ever since I've lived in Chicago. And this, my zip code specifically, I think is a true nightmare. And I was wondering, like, is it my post office guy that does my pickups? It, like, is it the local post office? Is it like, I don't know, is it the time of day I do them? Is it me? Is it what? Is the shape of the packages? Because I sometimes they are like, well, the tubes are really difficult to scan, so it probably discourages people from scanning them, and then there's no accountability, so they want it to just look like it's free transit and you never dropped it off, which is such BS. But, like, I sent out my PR boxes uh, for the book, and the people in Chicago that I sent them to who literally live in my same zip code down the street got them a week later, and I went and had them all scan myself, like, I, I, I don't know. It's like, no matter what I do, it never works. If you order me this Christmas, do it early, and please, for the love of God, understand that, like, I have no reason to withhold a package. I'm not running a scam here. I just am an, trying to run an honest Christian business. <laughs> I I honestly, like, I, I hate disappointing people. It, it, it kills me. And it's so funny to me that people think I honestly would, like, actively try to mislead them or not send their package. It's just not true. It, it's unfortunately, like, I do woke pickups and my postman picks them up. He puts them on the truck. I beg him to scan them. He never does. And then somehow three, four business days later, they end up in the Elk Grove distribution center when they were supposed to arrive a day before. And like, I don't know why. And I've asked him. He doesn't care. His job doesn't rely on me. Like the U.S. Postal Service does not give a crap what you think. <laughs> and that's just is what it is. And I, and I think for bigger companies with logistic systems like an Amazon or if you have like a full you know, warehouse pickup, maybe they respect the timelines a little bit more because there's so much revenue on the hook. But for people like me and my volume, they just kind of think that I'm like sending out Christmas cookies and they don't care. So anyways, I did not mean to go on that rant, but just a heads. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. I can tell you that because so much of my job is, is trying to like rectify situations with pissed off people because they want something immediately that I can't give someone a bottle of wine and be like, you can drink it in 10, 15 years. 
Because, like, I, I don't think, I don't know. I, I think also that takes a deal of an element of disposable income to always have surplus bottles. Like, unless you're in one of those wine clubs, I, I'm a one in, one out kind of gal. I would love a cellar, but I also, like, can't really drop that much on wine. And those wine clubs are, are, are a big monthly expense. Like, they're more than a gym. I, I'm really trying to get one to sponsor my podcast, though, because I want to get sponsors of things I actually use and like. And maybe not like, I don't know, a wink or something, but there's some uh, wine clubs that feature uh, small batch producers with sustainable farming techniques that are real innovators in the wine world and only make, you know, very small number of cases a year that you can buy at specialty stores, but I would never know about them. And I would love to feature them and talk about them and walk through them if, as long as they weren't just available through that, you know, wine program, which is usually the catch, which I find really annoying. The point should be to get the names out there. But anyway, if you if you own or operate or, or you know know anybody that owns a wine club, I would I'd love to have you. As you can see, my my tasting notes are um, uh, pretty influential. I I did a tasting on my Instagram story a few weeks ago, and you know I was drinking a, a lovely medium bodied organic 2017 wine, and upon telling people that it 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 had notes of you know despacito and fidget spinners several people told me they bought it and i was kidding of course because that's all i could remember from 2017 but you know what that's my point why can't we make wine if it's so subjective and personal why can't we make it funny why can't we make it more enjoyable and approachable that we may not necessarily have the most sophisticated palates but it doesn't mean we enjoy the process any less i just i don't know it's like you can sit there on your high horse and tell me all about how the Sangiovese grapes from Puglia in 2002 are unmatched. Or I can just taste and be like, I like it or I don't like it. And then just find somebody who does like it. All it has to do with, if, you know, I'm gifting it, is the label cute? <laughs> is it not disgusting? Is it a respectable price point that if this person Googles it, they'll be like, oh, she does care. As I do that. Um, it's, is it smooth? Is it like easy to drink? Is it a wine I need to have with food or is it a wine I can sip? A patio pounder, as they call them. There's just some like basic criteria that I just feel like the uh, pretentious professional wine world is overlooking that, you know, maybe I'm going to look to solve. We'll see. We'll see. Another one of my 5,000 businesses that I um, am constantly wanting to do that I actually never do because I should probably make one of these projects work first. But anyway, I so yeah, I did that last night. It was a lot of fun. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I went I went to Michigan with my husband and had a wonderful time with his family. I love his family because A, they got me a ranch book as a congratulations for my book and they really understand me. And B, because they love to play games. And I love to play games. And even though my husband says I am quote unquote not fun to play games with, I disagree because if we're playing catchphrase and somebody else is trying to describe to me, Nick Lachey's, what's left of me, and they cannot hear me screaming, what's left of me, I am going to talk over everybody because speed is the name of the game. And I am not sorry for screaming, Nick Lachey, what's left of me over the weekend, Greg, should you be listening? <laughs> He's not. <laughs> There's no way. Um, but anyway, Juvenile's back that as up. The version I played for you is back that thang up. Because, oh, I don't know, I just, I really hate when, if the thought of you putting this on your card and being, like, super explicit before you have time to adjust accordingly. But this song, like, I just, I love songs that you could never physically imagine, like, sitting in a corner sulking when it comes on. I can sulk when Uptown Funk comes on. I will 100 million percent sulk 
when, you know, Jackson 5, ABC 1, 2, 3 comes on and people act like they want to dance to it. Um, but like these, back that thing up. These are the, these are the songs of our generation. These are the songs that started a movement. Why? Because this is the first song that popularized the phrase, drop it like it's hot. In Little Wayne's part where he says, drop, 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 drop it like it's hot. Because Snoop Dogg credits that song for his hit where he just went the whole time, which love forever. And it's just, I don't know. It just has a beat that I just like, it just gets people on the dance floor. That song might get me to grind again. I'm just kidding. No, there's there's no way in hell. I would I would say the same about the song Put Your Back Into It from Save the Last Dance by Ice Cube. And like, I just want to clarify, I know I sound incredibly white and I'm such a loser. And I know, I know you're thinking it and I'm sorry. But like, I kind of hate when people shame people from liking certain types of music, because isn't that kind of the point? It's an art form with a universally, a universally identifiable language. I mean... Uh, melodies uh, next to numbers mathematics is one of the only universal languages out there and isn't kind of the point to you know serve as an art form to share with people that is kind of encapsulates who you are as a person or where you come from or whatever like i don't know remember back in the day people like who loved indie bands like if you're you know a huge i don't know what's an example like, I'd imagine a band, like a punkish band, like a Good Charlotte or a Newfound Glory had like a pretty big following prior to mainstream success. But when they like got on TRL, people would be like, oh, they're such sellouts. And I'm like, OK, do we do we really need to like shame people for being popular? Is the goal to go into music and be like, God, I hope I don't get popular. Hope I don't make money. I really care about this art too much. I don't want that infinity pool. Like, no, let them be. Um, but anyway. I've really, um, as a person who loves puns, who writes puns, who spent a lot of time writing the ones in my book, I've always appreciated Lil Wayne. Not, not just because of that incredibly charming interview with Katie Cork he did where he famously said, I'm a gangster, Miss Katie. So good. So, like, iconic. Um, but also because he says things like, you know, so sweet, make you want to lick the rapper in his hit song Lollipop. Which, you know, add or subtract a W takes on a whole new meaning. Uh, similarly, in that same song, um, tell... Uh, tell her girl like Doritos that's nacho cheese. Tell her friends like Frito, I'm trying to lay. And he also says, man, the flow's so cold, chicken soup won't help. I mean, I just, I, I, I love these lines. I, it's like how in, um, in Yancey... Beyonce saying, I sneezed on the beat and the beat got sicker. Like, oh my God, that's so brilliant. <laughs> it's, I, I can't, I can't, I'm, I just am impressed by these uh, master lyricists. I am not being facetious. Like I, even when I am writing like poems or book ideas or whatever, I listen not just to like musical stylings like Lin-Manuel Miranda that I've talked about at length, but I, I'll listen to a lot of uh, different rap music from different eras because the rhyme styles really change. Like whether in the eighties, there's like more of like a funk influence and like early rap music, like run DMC or whatever is more danceable to moving into like more of a less approachable hardcore rap that wasn't really designed to be 
like dance floor hits, but more so just really illuminate the struggles of the communities where these rappers came from. And the 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 rapid fire, like word count of these songs is wild and how in the internal rhymes and puns are, are at times brilliant. And I just I really enjoy listening just to, I, yeah, you know, you guys know how people pair words and construct sentences and lyrics. And I just think sometimes the... Uh, art gets lost in the vulgarity if people aren't comfortable with like the words or the concepts it's i i kind of just still don't think it should take away from how artfully constructed a lot of the music is but anyway and from a pop culture standpoint i was too young in the 90s to really understand east coast west coast and what was going on but like it's 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 so interesting to read about the origins of and the depth of the rivalry and like Tupac like I mean now the people that think he's still alive and like you know I was very aware of Notorious B.I.G. because of uh, Hypnotize obviously one of the greatest um uh, but but because of uh at the time Puff Daddy I'll Be Missing You was like the biggest song of uh, ever and it's incredibly sad when you think about it but um Anyway, whatever. What was I talking about? Whatever happened to Faith Evans? Was that her name? It was Puff Daddy, Faith Evans, and 112. 112 is best known for their song Peaches and Cream, but I'm a real fan of Dance With Me, and if you're not familiar with that, play it. It's got... It, it starts out real strong. Huge fan. Um, what, like, truly, what, what, why, why am I talking about this? Rap music, Lollipop, Lil Wayne... Oh, back that ass up. Um, oh, I thought that this was in the Save the Last Dance soundtrack. It is not. That was Ice Cube's Put Your Back Into It, which is another great song. I was kind of thinking about this, too, like how important movies like that were to like my, I don't know. I don't watch a lot of movies now. And in my head, they're just not as good and I don't want to see them. But when you're in middle school and high school, they're so transformative because they're your outlet. Movies and TV and music is your outlet to what real world as the real world as an adult is like when you're otherwise being, you know, somewhat sheltered. And for me, these these dance movies and I guess any movie about high school, because like I truly you could have not told me that at high school dances People wouldn't, you know, spontaneously break into a choreographed dance a la Run DMC, Speak of the Devil. It's tricky. Like in She's All That. And when the girl licks her finger and moves it down her chest, and to me, I honestly thought I was watching porn. But like looking at it now, it's just like a very, it's like not, it's just so funny. It's not scandalous at all. And little did I know that much later in life, the flash mob would popularize. And I am morally opposed to a flash mob. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, like when they first came out, I can see it being fun and funny. But now it's more surprising if people don't do a flash mob. Not really. I've honestly never seen one in public. But like it just wouldn't it wouldn't shock and awe me. We need a new like, you know, gorilla in person, like experiential type shock factor thing that does not involve dance skills, singing skills, whatever it may be. It needs to be a little bit more universal, if you ask me. Like, um, I don't know, a flash act of kindness, a flash compliment. Everyone goes around telling each other why they're so great. Well, that that would do wonders for, for the Grove in L.A. or whatever, the <laughs> Times Square. You know, would be in a good mood. But, you know, when I think of 
dance movies in the 90s. Well, Save the Last Dance was an important one. I closely followed the career of Julia Stiles back then, to which now I say, why? She was, she was never even that exciting in any of the movies. It was just kind of bland, and she was a real bump on a log in 10 Things I Hate About You, but she did say that that drunken dance scene when she hits her head on the lamp, no, wait, is that clueless? Oh, no. That's when, no, Ty hits her head on the lamp when she's singing Rolling With, Rolling with My Homies, right? I don't remember, guys. Um... That drunk dancing scene Julia Stiles did in 10 Things I Hate About You is how she got the part in Save the Last Dance, which, you know, good for her. Kind of wondered why else she'd get hired again. Um, but to me, I got to say Center Stage was the more prominent film. Center Stage was so important, not only just because, you know, Mandy Moore up until that point only had really candy. And this was before A Walk to Remember and her slow ballad, I Want to Be With You, was so breathy, and she was wearing so many dancey layers, and she did not know how to ballet dance, so she just kind of, like, hung out around the corner hugging herself, singing about, you know, if only for a day, you make me feel this way. I forget the words. Um, It was, like, very popular on TRL. Uh, Not just because of that, but because I I really thought... (laughs) I watched that movie so many times... I I genuinely thought that in life, like th- that girl, Jody Sawyer, I really thought that, you know, having to deal with underdeveloped turnout and, and your body type and your footwork were like real life adult problems because they made it seem like, I don't know, it, they, and I know ballet is serious, but again, it's such a niche that like, I think I knew a lot of people that were dancers when I were younger, but nobody really dances professionally. And I think that like, I don't know. It, watching it now, I'm kind of like, oh, my God, these problems are like so stupid. Like, go live your life. Go pursue another dream. These people are so mean. These people are so bulimic. Like, this is such a bad influence. Why is everybody so pale and frail? I, I, ballet is a beautiful art form, but why, like, kill yourself to to do it? I guess that goes with any hobby that people are diehard about. But I just, you know, I always had the creeps from Cooper Nielsen. I always knew he was bad news. I understood why Jodie Sawyer was seduced by him. But clearly, the other mega hottie that liked her with the thick eyebrows, not Peter Gallagher, the rude instructor, but the other guy, he was he was such a babe. Uh, Charlie, 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 Charlie. Uh, Zoe Saldana, that was her kind of big screen premiere, and she still has a strong career, um, you know, given Avatar's success. And I, I don't know, guys. I just think... That movie, the soundtrack was so good. That ending dancing was so good. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Higher Ground, Jamiroquai, uh, Michael Jackson's The Way You Make Me Feel. I remember because I had the Grammy nominees 96 CD and Jamiroquai was on it. And I it was for that song where it's something insanity or virtual insanity. Uh, Jamiroquai 96 Grammy nom. I'm going to, you know, fact check in real time for you. Yeah virtual insanity guys i knew what i was talking about jamiroquai was not on my radar until center stage which came out four years later but he had two songs in that soundtrack that were huge canned heat and dance i think were the two titles and both catchy both very into it i can't say i'm a huge red hot chili peppers fan i acknowledge the talent not my ideal genre of music but i do love under the bridge and i do love higher ground Ugh, so good uh, there's so much i like about the film it is a fine fine film I like that, you know, Jody isn't a perfect character, not only just because of her god-awful turnout, can you imagine? But her, you know, she had body images, she's, her body type wasn't right. 
She was a great protagonist. She was flawed. She had the one-night stand with Cooper Nielsen. Charlie was in love with her, which is clearly the hotter, better choice. At the end, they fight over her in an unconventional workshop dance number where somebody inexplicably drives a motorcycle onto the stage. And even more inexplicably, somebody, somehow she changes from a full ballet outfit immediately into this sensual red number where her hair is in rolled cornrows but still side-parted with a long red ribbon, red point shoes, red lipstick she 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 transforms in in a matter of seconds and i don't know how she changed that fast but i truly her with all of her dancers hand on hip in front and hand on hip in back that was the epitome of the title of the song can't heat that was can't heat i was like damn this girl has it going on and i'm just now realizing that i can't believe i've never had that red costume be a Halloween costume. I have dressed as a generic ballerina like a loser, but why wouldn't I try to be Jodie Sawyer? I am constantly looking for blonde protagonists that aren't Cher Horowitz that I can dress as that are recognizable to a small amount of people. Because I don't want to be... I, the, the best Halloween costumes are the ones that, if you know it, you really know it, and if you don't, you just look like something else so you don't look that stupid. It's like when How I Met Your Mother was really popular. Greg wore a suit with a ducky tie. He just looked like a dude in a suit to everybody else. But like people that watched it when it, you know, was popular or first came out were like, oh, my God, Barney Stinson. It was fun. Um, anywho, I I don't know. I could go on and on. But and then there was like sequels. But, you know, those shall not be named. They were tragic and did not do justice to the first film. And I think Center Stage is kind of who I wanted to be in, in, in the dance world or in the mo- in the world of 90s rom-coms. There's like two type of people. Center Stage and Coyote Ugly <laughs> came out the same year. It we're both about pursuing your big dreams in the city. Coyote Ugly was, you know, she wanted to be a songwriter and singer, but had a, a, a terrible stage, right? And no money. And, you know, what better than to use your talents to get people to pour buckets of water on you? Uh, pitchers, rather. The pitchers that they never come out of the spout and you have to pour out of the side, which you learn when you're a waiter, but... You know, up until that point, you're kind of like, why are you pouring the water out of the side when there's a clear spout? Never works. Anyway, at a, you know, Country Western Saloon in the big city. I I loved both films equally. Both were culturally important equally. One a little raunchier than the other. Well, center stage is like classy raunchy, like low key raunchy. Like my mom would probably let me watch it if she didn't, you know, walk in on the scene with Cooper Nielsen or the scene on the final dance scene where like the the motorcycle comes in and then there's like the weird bed dancing. But Coyote Ugly, I couldn't pull off because no matter which way you look at it, it's a bunch of chicks scantily clad dancing on a bar, stomping very hard. And um, I did not see it as many times as the other one. However, even though center stage's soundtrack is near perfect. Can't Fight the Moonlight is such an important song to this era, and I'm sure to all of you too. Like, that Leanne Rhyme song was huge. It was so huge and so important. I love it so much that I try so hard to separate that person from the person who so ferociously stole Eddie Cibrian from Brandy Glanville. They were a family. She had sons. Now I don't like Brandy. Now am I seeing that she was really just uh, hyping up storylines to keep her spot on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? Yes. But I didn't like what she did to Jeff Lewis on Watch What Happens Live. I didn't like that. I don't like that she posts, you know, all these weird photos of herself in the thong when she has, you know, middle school age sons that have to deal with it. I I don't like how she botched her natural beauty with enormous amounts of cheek filler. But I do respect a family unit. And, you know, it takes two to tango. Eddie left her, too. But Leanne just trying to act like she's the mom of those boys and like nothing happened. And 
you know, trying to get a, her own reality show after probably shaming Brandy for hers. Also, like, Leanne Rimes just got out of her contract, her recording contract. It was, like, 20 years long. That is so insane. That's what happened to JoJo. Taylor Swift, hers was 10 years, which I guess is kind of short. Why do people have to get in these really long contracts? Like, in no other business is it that long. And people get trapped. It's kind of sad. But um, anyway, I... I just, I don't know, all of a sudden I have a hankering to rewatch Coyote Ugly and really be inspired by her making something of herself and doing what she needed to do until she could ultimately reach her goal at the open mic night in the Bowery Ballroom. Singing Can't Fight the Moonlight with her fellow saloonsters. And, you know, that lead actress is kind of an interesting choice because was she really in anything else? She reminds me of if Molly Sims' face was a little off. That sounds mean. It's like if Molly Sims was one of us and like had a little less strong bone structure. That's Piper Parabo, the lead of of uh, Coyote Ugly. It's kind of like how um, if you actually look at the faces of Jamie Presley and uh, what's her name, Margot Robbie, they're like astonishingly similar. Yet like their brands are so different that they are totally different people. But like I cannot even believe how much they look like. And like Margot's kind of like an upgrade of Jamie Presley. No offense, Jamie Presley. I love your work. I appreciate you so much in all of the Not Another Teen movie series, etc. What a 90s, what a 90s parody queen. And as a person that just wrote a parody joke, I do not write off that category whatsoever. That's such an interesting thing when celebrities look so much alike, like Isla Fisher and um, Amy Adams, like Katy Perry, Zoe Deschanel. It's kind of like the identical twin, or uh, what's her name? Bryce Dallas Howard and Jessica Chastain. It's like kind of the identical twin thing where like, when I say one looks off from the other, it's because whoever you see first, the other kind of looks off from because they're slightly different. Off is not a bad thing. But um, anyway, I uh, that, uh, that's why identical twins are tough because everyone's taste is different. And it would be there's any, there, you have to be truly evil to, like, say somebody is the hotter twin. It's so messed up. And can you imagine being a twin and hearing that and how it would affect your life? And I'm so sorry if you did. And you are not, there's no hot twin. You are hot the way you are. It is just so, you have had to live a hard life having an immediate yardstick next to you for comparison of what your appearance could look like if a few things were shuffled around. Most of us don't experience that until we first, you know, discover derm spas and can do it to ourselves. Uh, (laughs) I'm talking so fast today. I just like looked up or like came up for air. It's completely dark outside. I have no clue what has happened the past 40 minutes. I feel like we didn't even talk about a single thing going on right now. But to be fair, I'm not like thrilled with popular culture right now. It's not exciting me in any particular way. It's like, oh, wow, Kim and Kanye took a 747 private to Tokyo sponsored by Adidas because they deserve it. Wow. Uh, Ariana Grande is still talking about Thank You Next and is teasing about this music video that's never going to come out. I feel like I've seen the whole thing at this point, though it looks very cool with all those movie references. Uh, Daily Mail just won't stop talking about how Kate and Will and Harry and Meghan hate each other, and I just don't buy it. Those boys need each other. They've been through a lot together, and honestly, I think they're pretty level-headed, and I don't think that, like, Harry's bending over backwards to accommodate some monster bitch that is megan like i really just don't see that uh, nick jonas and priyanka chopra are still getting married and i still don't believe it i think i said on the last episode that i read about how she came to america because a venture capitalist funded her career she's she's managed by like by an investor and not like an entertainment manager which i think is so interesting and um I, I, the the sponsorships 
from their bachelorette and bachelor parties. Like, Nick has scooters sponsor him, vodka sponsor him. Like, it's just such an obvious business opportunity, and it's very weird. And it's like, it's so obvious to me when people go from like, oh, please respect our privacy. Like, Nick and Olivia Culpo, like, just wanted their privacy respected. Like, they weren't really all over the place. But then all of a sudden, like, you're doing everything in the public eye. You're hawking things. You're actively inviting people into your special moments by posting it on Instagram, by having companies sponsor it. I just, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. But they're in India. They're about to get married, apparently. And no one is more shocked than me. Because I talk about business and PR relationships a lot. And, like, I, I, I like to talk about the conspiracies. I don't always believe them. But it is so, so hard for me to believe that anybody would go through with, go through with a marriage. Um... For the sake of publicity, like I just, we're all human. Nobody like will would do, do, do. I think that like, we we respect the sanctity of that to a degree. And who would do that for business? But who knows? Like I'm still trying to crack the case of Carly Kloss's wedding. I just read an article in Daily Mail that says George and Amal Clooney set to become Prince Harry and Meghan's firstborn child's godparents. I mean, those would be pretty sick godparents. But uh, and Amal did wear was best dressed at their wedding. To be fair, Pri- Priyanka's outfit left little to be desired but them all showed up and had to tow you know daffodil yellow just looking like an absolute ray of sunshine um black china's heading to trial with the kardashians no one cares bellathorn no one cares.com backslash get off daily mail underscore why are you here in the first place dot hgm jesse j and channing tatum don't care property brothers don't care times two jenny j wow farley don't care. Don't know who these people are. Amy Schumer's pregnancy. Hope she feels better. Taylor Swift and Liam Payne. Top brand watch list of most influential on Twitter. Taylor Swift doesn't even tweet. Liam Payne? I don't know. I did like that song. Um, oh, no. Slow Hands was Niall Horn. Never mind. Liam had a song out at the same time that I thought was okay. But Slow Hands was way better. Justin and Haley, concerned for them. Uh, now that I've read about her dad, I, I didn't realize her dad wasn't Billy Baldwin. It's the other Baldwin, Stephen, I think. And he's like a born-again Christian. He's filed bankruptcy several times. He has no money. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that, hey, you know, Haley trying to marry Justin while he's clearly under the influence of so many things, allegedly, is just like such a cash grab. And she like doesn't really have a career or money, and but like still runs with this crowd and like needs to afford it. Uh, it kind of makes sense now because I was like, she doesn't need money. She's from the, she's a Baldwin, but you know, I was wrong. And, uh, I still just cannot figure out why he's crying all the time. And I think it's because of Selena. And I'm wondering if Selena is in a dire condition that we don't even know about. Um, but you know, oh, I, Hey, I just scrolled down to Selena on Daily Mail. Selena Gomez exudes confidence during Puma shoot as she talks being strong after healing at mental health center due to Bieber heartbreak. Do we know that it was the Bieber heartbreak? I don't know. I mean, it it was about time she got over him. She has such potential. And uh, I know now she's going to tell me that I can find my strength by wearing Puma, but I really wish she'd be a little bit more transparent about her mental health and life and struggles and kidney transplant and what isn't isn't drugs and alcohol related. Because like, sheesh. It just seems like she for somebody that just claims exhaustion and like lupus, she just seems like real unstable i i just i don't know get some sleep drink some water obviously a chronic illness is a problem but there's just there, there's just more to it uh okay guys yeah it's a, it's a bleak week on daily mail it's just there's nothing going on nothing i want to talk about 
Um, and I apologize if, if I have like a huge blind spot. It's hard for me to remember off the cuff while I'm sitting here. And also I need to get off because I need to change. I'm wearing a turtleneck that I wore yesterday. And for some reason, like, you know how I told you guys on Instagram that like I was trying to get into streetwear. So I bought this like Adidas kind of mock turtleneck, loose cropped sweatshirt. And when Greg walked in the door and I said, like, I know Greg's going to make fun of me for wearing this. And the second he walked in the door, he was like, what are you wearing? Are you a hype beast? Did you wait all night and camp out to get this, this like streetwear drop? Did you have a sneaker collection? Like, who are you? And I was like, okay, I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to be a little bit more Haley Baldwin, uh, a little less Haley Joel Austin. <laughs> That's the only Haley I could think of. Haley Steinfeld, now she's hip too. Um, but anyway, I wore a black turtleneck with black pants to the premiere last night. And the second Greg walked in the door, he was like, oh, weird. I didn't know I was going to the premiere with the director. And I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, you're wearing all black. And I was like, this is, is, again, it's not weird to wear all black. Whenever I wear black to weddings, whenever I wear black on black on black, he's like, are you going to a funeral? Like, what's your deal? And I'm like, I promise it's normal to wear black. And he's like, yeah, it is normal if you're the crew of an off-Broadway play. And I'm like, no, in real life. So then every time I wear black, he thinks it's so funny to torture me. And like, obviously, I don't care. Um, it's kind of funny. But uh, last night, I was just on another level. He was like, uh, how are you going to watch this movie if everybody's like telling you to go up on stage for the Q&A? When he was asking me pointed questions about like lighting and direction in the middle of the movie. And then he was like, we're eating dinner. And he's like, well, how, you know, are you going to have time to eat when you have to give a keynote in a few minutes? Uh, can you tell me about the latest iPhone release? And I'm just like, shut up. <laughs> so annoying. And he's like, well, I didn't know. I didn't know mimes could talk so much. I'm like, mimes wear stripes. Let me live my life. But anyway, I'm going to change my turtleneck. <laughs> I am my best self in a black turtleneck. Truly, that is it is my vibe. It, I I come to life when I'm dressed for death. It, it, my soul feels ex open and exposed when my neck is covered. It is a true joy. It I think in contrast with blonde hair, it's sharp. I think it's like it goes with any occasion. It can be cozy by the fire, opera ski. It can be chic business together. It can be, you know, hostess at a California pizza kitchen. It, it can be crew at a play. It can be, you know, give a keynote presentation. And, you know, it can be emphatically sitting by yourself in a room with a microphone comparing and contrasting Coyote Ugly and Center Stage. Truly, true versatility, my friends. I'm currently wearing one made by Spanx. It is skin tight, but it sucks it all in in all the right places, and it is glorious. Anyway, guys, I should get going. I am freaked out that it's dark. I have not gotten enough done. Got to change. And I feel like there's just not enough going on for me to continue rambling as I've managed to just stay in the year 2000 today. But sometimes I like it there, you know? You know what they say. You can try to resist, try to hide from topics, but, you know, you can't fight the moonlight. And I agree with that. And I will send you off with this glorious tune that will take you back in such a sensory way. When I hear Can't Fight the Moonlight, I am transported back to middle school when I spent all of my allowance on one shirt at the Abercrombie and it said Midnight Cowgirl, which back then I thought sounded whimsy. But now I'm like, Jesus, that means like this is like hooker tramptastic, like Midnight Cowgirl. Like, why not be a regular daytime cowgirl unless you're up to some funny business? But whatever. It was in the clearance rack, probably because no one's mom wanted them to wear a shirt that said Midnight Cowgirl. It was like still $60, I think, and uh, playing, you know, Ghost in the Graveyard 
with my middle school pals while we listened to Leanne Rhymes and whatever else we could find on Napster, LimeWire, BearShare, whatever those sites were. A simpler time. A simpler time marked with after-school snacks, games that would trick people into making it okay to make out with their boyfriends in the bushes in the woods, which if you listen to my episode uh, after the party, it's the local Arby's. You'll find out that no one ever wanted to do that with me, but it's okay. I'm better for it. And yeah, I hope you liked this episode. I, I hope, unlike Jody Sawyer, this episode has a great turnout. <laughs> I just, oh God, that's pretty good, right? I just thought of that. And, I, and honestly, that was the verbal version of me ripping off my conservative ballet uniform into my red-lipped, red-ribboned, red-ensemble ballet-shoed uh, vixen look that you did not see coming. I don't, every time, I never see it coming. It's always thrilling, always thrilling. I'm going to go watch it tonight, probably. Nope, just kidding. I'm probably going to watch A December Bride tonight because that is a perfect Hallmark movie. And I love Jessica Lowndes, and I love how she says 14 times, I've just always wanted to be a December Bride. As if that's the thing people say. Nobody says that. <laughs> You're just a bride. Maybe in the winter. Maybe a Christmas bride. Maybe a New Year's bride. Nobody's a December bride, Jess. Oh, God love you. All right. As always, the best way to support the podcast is to um, go to our Amazon influencer page and buy stuff from there so I can get a few pennies here and there. Uh, the link is in my Instagram highlights under things I heart. You can also subscribe to Patreon for bonus episodes uh, for a dollar a month. You can also, uh, I don't know, or do you got a trust fund, some extra cash lying around? Have a sister out. I don't know. Send me a check. <laughs> I'm not kidding, but I don't know. After I found out Priyanka Chopra's career was privately funded, I'm like, well, why can't mine be? But, you know, I am not a Bollywood star, nor a beauty queen, nor an activist, nor just an all-around charming gal, woman of the world, multilingual. She's very impressive, and I don't hate her. I just think she can do better than Nick Jonas. Anyway, I, I, I beat dead horses. Oh, there's my HVAC. That's my cue. Okay, guys. <laughs> if you don't mind leaving a review, five stars, rate, or review, I'm happy with either. Buy Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star in stores now on Amazon, $14.95. Such an inexpensive holiday gift, and I swear, 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 your friends will love it. It is so cute. It's so fun, and I'm so proud of it. And as always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Yeah.